0: Good morning. Good to see you all. I know that the weather is pretty dreary outside, so um, for those of you who are watching online from home, I understand. Um, Roy uh, sends his regards. He's preaching at the Dandenong Polish Church this morning, and so um, I'm not sure if he's going to stay there or if he's going to be able to come and join us for lunch, we'll see, but he sends his regards. Who here has read the Pilgrim's Progress? Anyone? Okay, a few hands. I read it a long time ago, and then I reread it this week. Um, and I recommend that if you do want to read it, um, you find one in modern English. It's a lot easier to read um, than the old English. And there's also a movie. There's a few kind of adaptations, and there's even a musical. And so you can watch the musical um, version of it, too, if you'd like. But it's basically um, it's a Christian allegory. And basically it, it has uh, you know, symbolism and characters that, that have um, meaning um, and it kind of traces the journey of a, of a man named Christian and it's supposed to kind of represent every Christian's journey um, in life. This book has actually been translated into more than 200 languages and has never been out of print. And if I actually asked you, what do you think are the most translated books in the world? Let's see if you can have a guess. Top five. No. The Bible is number one by far. Um, <laughs> Pilgrim's Progress, yes, good, good deductive skills there. Um, Pilgrim's Progress is one of them. I preached about this other book. Nope. <laughs> I preached about this other book a few years ago, The Little Prince. The Little Prince. Then this one was kind of surprising. The Adventures of Pinocchio. Who knew? More than 250 languages. The Adventures of Pinocchio. Um, and then the other book um, is uh, is, a bi- is a tract by the Jehovah's Witnesses called What Does the Bible Really, Te- really Teach? And so um, those are the top five most translated The most translated books in the world. Um, Now, it is true that Steps to Christ by Ellen White is, um, I think, number eight or nine, so it's in the top ten. So, what is this book about? You know, why is it translated in so many languages and why has it never been out of print and who was its author? John Bunyan is is the name of the man who uh, wrote this book wrote this story now we don't know exactly when he was born but we do know exactly when he was christened into the anglican church the church of england and it was november 30 1628 exactly 391 years ago so another reason why i chose to talk about john bunyan today is that um so that's kind of considered his birthday because that's the closest they have to his actual birth so he was christian in a town near bedford England, and when he grew up, um, you know, in his in his memoir and his autobiography, he he says that um, he his father was a tinker, so someone who mended the pots and pans, and so he kind of grew up as as a tinker as well. And he says, until I came to the state of marriage, I was the very ringleader of all the youth that kept me company in all manner of vice and ungodliness. (laughs) Okay, those are his words. In other words, he's saying. You know, he sowed his wild oats, and he he wasn't uh, particularly religious. But then at 21, he got married to a a woman, and we don't know her name, but he he married this woman, and they were so poor that apparently between the two of them, they didn't even own a single spoon. They had nothing. They came into the marriage with nothing except all she brought as her diary were two books that were written by Puritans uh, uh, talking about the religious life. That's all she brought into the marriage, and that's all they had for a while. And so they would read these two books. That's all they had. And it kind of sowed this idea in his heart and mind that he needed God. But he, he struggled, and he writes about this in his memoir. He talks about the struggle he felt between wanting to know God but then the temptation to just forget about God and do whatever He wanted, and at the time his biggest temptations were that he loved dancing and ringing the bell. <laughs> Those are the temptations that he struggled against, and and sports eventually as well. That you know that he and he gave up all of them. So interesting, um, you know, in that century, what what was considered. Um, sinful, and um, he, he struggled, and he, and he struggled internally with this idea of, you know, wanting to, to wanting to follow God, but oh, it just seems so hard. It seems so difficult. Well, one day he was walking along when he overheard a group of women, basically having a Bible study. Um, and he, he was kind of eavesdropping, and he said, hey, what are you doing? And, and they said, well, why don't you come join us? And basically, these women were not part of the Church of England. Now, just to give a quick history lesson, in that time period, there was only one religion that was accepted, and that was the state religion. In his case, he's in England, so that was the Anglican Church, the Church of England. And any time there was a change of king or queen, whatever the king or queen wanted, That was the state religion. So in his time, it was uh, the Church of England, and they had their set book of prayers, and they had set sermon manuscripts. How easy it would have been to preach back then, right? You just read what has been prescribed to you, but you also don't have any freedom to preach outside of that, or to even pray outside of the written prayers. Everything was prescribed to you by the state, by the church. And there were people who said, no, we want to be able to study the Bible for ourselves. Because remember, Martin Luther and, and the other reformers had already started this movement of people saying, let's go back to the word of God for ourselves. And they had translated um, the, the Bible into their own languages. And there was this growing spread of people who are saying, hey, we don't want to follow the state religion. We want to follow what God is asking us to follow, even if that means we have, are kicked out of the church, even if that means we're persecuted, even if that means we're killed. And so these Puritans or these nonconformists uh, would worship you know, secretly in their homes. And generally the state didn't get too tough on them. But here's what happened to John Bunyan. John Bunyan not only studied with this uh, group of of nonconformists, these Puritans, etc., but he could not contain the passion he had to share this good news. So he started, you know, he's a tinker, so he's not a, a pastor, but he started going around preaching from the Bible. He was on fire for him. And you know what? He was so on fire for him, and he was such a passionate speaker and so, so uh, I guess, you know, inspirational that within a 24-hour notice, he could gather a crowd of 1,200 people for a 7 a.m. service. This is before social media. So, so by word of mouth, 1,200 people would gather to hear him preach. So people are starting to pay attention. When King Charles asked John Owen, a prestigious theologian, why he, a great scholar, would choose to listen to this uneducated tinker, John Owen replied, I would willingly exchange my learning for the tinker's power of touching men's hearts. But you can imagine that the Church of England didn't like this. And so they arrested John Bunyan. Now, you had to have a license to preach. And of course, if they don't like you, they won't give you the license. And because John Bunyan did not have a license to preach and he was preaching things that were not in their prescribed manuscripts, they said to him, you have to go to prison for six months. Now, after the six months, they would ask him, do you promise to never again preach in England? And if he said yes, he can go home. But if he said no, he would have to stay. So then his six-month sentence would keep getting extended. And John Bunyan was in prison for 12 years. 12 years. Now his first wife, had, uh, before he went to prison, had died, leaving him with four children, uh, one of whom was blind. And he had married um, another woman named Elizabeth. She was only about 17, 18 years old when they got married. And she had only been married to John for a year when he was arrested, and the shock of his arrest actually caused her to miscarry her first child. She, is an, she was a remarkable woman. For the 12 years that John was in prison, she basically raised the, her four stepchildren all alone with no income, um, somehow managed to feed them and kept the family alive and... Um, not only that but encouraged John they would you know sometimes write letters to each other she would she would go visit him they would have to take food because back then it's not like the state provided food they kept you in jail but then they expected you to find your own way (laughs) through all the meals and so she would have to uh, she would often send Mary who was the blind um, daughter and one of John's favorites to go take him his soup for the day Not only that, but Elizabeth was brave enough to actually go to London and request a hearing, and she pleaded for her husband. And there's a little exchange um, that I'm going to read to you. The judges, you know, there they are, these men imposing, and here's this young lady, and they said to her, well, is he going to stop preaching? She answers, my lord, he dares not leave off preaching as long as he can speak. Then, what is the need of talking? They scoffed. There is need, my lord, for I have four small children that cannot help themselves, of which one is blind, and we have nothing to live on but the charity of good people. He is a mere tinker. Yes, and because he is a tinker and a poor man, therefore he is despised and cannot have justice. He preaches blasphemies, they said. He preaches nothing but the word of God, Elizabeth says. His doctrine is the doctrine of the devil. And Elizabeth replies, my lord, when the righteous judge shall appear, it will be known that his doctrine is not the doctrine of the devil. Bunyan's biographer comments, Elizabeth Bunyan was simply an English peasant woman. Could she have spoken with more dignity had she been a crowned queen? And here's a quote that's even more astonishing, recalling her unsuccessful plea before the court right? they had no mercy on her she says you know at first she was timid you know she went in there and she says by the end she was weeping and she says not only because they were so cold-hearted towards me and my husband and my children she says but i wept for them she says what will happen when the king comes right she says i weep to think of those poor creatures who will have to give account to the coming of the lord She wept in compassion for her enemies. John and Elizabeth Bunyan were these incredible individuals who at any point could have said, I will never again preach in England, and he could have gone home. And he writes in his autobiography about that temptation because he felt so horrible for his family who's suffering. And so he's tempted to to say, you know what, maybe I'll just give this all up. But not only did he never give up, but Elizabeth never let him give up. The two of them together chose conviction. The two of them chose their conscience, and they never regretted their decision. While John was in prison, he made shoelaces to support his family, and he also wrote many books. And finally, after 12 years, and sometimes they would let him out to visit his family, so it wasn't a continuous imprisonment um, for like a day or two. So somewhere along the way, they actually had a few children as well. in general he was in prison for 12 years and then finally in 1672 the declaration of religious indulgence was released so change of law and john was freed and he was given a license to preach and he became the official pastor of the bedford church the non-conformist church so then for, for four or five years he had peace and then the law was cancelled so then he, Back to prison he went, and it was during the second round, this time I think he was only in prison for about a year, but it was during that second round of imprisonment that he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, in prison. And what does this story actually say? Here's how it starts. It starts, as I walked through the wilderness of this world, I lighted on a certain place where there was a den, and I laid me down in that place to sleep. And as I slept, I dreamed a dream. I dreamed and behold, I saw a man clothed with rags, standing in a certain place with his face from his own house, a book in his hand and a great burden upon his back. I looked and I saw him open the book and read therein. And as he read, he wept and trembled and not being able longer to contain, he broke out with a lamentable cry saying, what shall I do? I've got some props here. I want you to imagine, okay? There's this man named Christian with this burden on his back. And actually this, I thought it would be light, but it's kind of heavy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's, he, he, he cannot take this burden off. He tries, can't get it off. And the burden is growing and he's got this book in his hand. And he's reading this book and as he reads it, his burden seems to get heavier and heavier. And he talks. He tries to talk to his family about it, but his family think he's crazy. They're like, "Have some good food. Go to bed. Let's tuck you in. Do you want some tea? Right? They're very condescending towards him. And and he's trying to tell them, hey, this book, this book is saying that our city is going to be destroyed. And they're all like, "Nothing's gonna happen. Don't worry about it. Okay? And they're like. Daddy's a little crazy. Let's kind of ignore him for a while. So for a while, the family ignore him. They treat him really badly. And he's, 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 he's growing more and more uncomfortable because he, he's reading this book, and it's making him feel this burden. And so he finds a little bit of comfort going out in nature and kind of being away from everyone. And he's reading this book, and as he's reading it, he cries out, What must I do to be saved? And along comes evangelist. And evangelist says, what is the the matter? What's what's happening? How can I help? And he explains to him, he says, I have this burden on my back and I'm reading this book and I I find out that the city is going to be destroyed but I don't know what to do. And the evangelist says, you must escape and flee from the city of destruction and journey to the celestial city also known as Mount Zion. And he says, you see that light? And he's like, well, he says, do you see that gate? And Christian's like, no, I can't see it. And he says, okay, do you see that light? And Christian says, okay, I, see, I see a little bit of a light. I, I see it really far away. And Evangelist says, follow that light, and it will lead you to the gate. And knock at the gate, and they'll tell you what to do. So then he starts on this journey. And um, this is the actual picture that's, you know, in the original and on this journey, oops, yay! There you go. he starts out in the city of destruction and he get, he's, he's running, he's running. And as he's running, the neighbors come after him, trying to stop him, mocking him, taunting him. And two of them decide, we're going to forcefully bring him back. Okay? Obstinate and pliable are their names. And they come after him and, and they're trying to convince him, you're wasting your time. Why are you leaving your family, your friends, your comfort, right, your city? It's going to be all right. Come back, come back. And he says, no, I have to do this. I have to go. Why don't you come? He had tried to convince people to come with him, but nobody wanted to. Except Pliable says, well, tell me where you're going. And he says, I'm going to this, to this place where there's going to be no more pain, no more sorrow. I'm going to a place where there's going to be streets of gold. And he starts describing the, the new heaven and the new earth. And Pliable's like, well, that, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'll come with you. Great. So the two of them are, are about to you know, go and they're talking. And all of a sudden they fall into, it says, the slough of despond. right? The pit of despair. Right? And it's so miry and it's so yucky and, and, and sticky. And so they're in there. And, and as they're in there, Pliable starts getting furious. He says, hey, is this the happiness that you promised? this is not what you described. I don't, if this is how it's going to be, I don't want anything to do with this. And Pliable somehow, you know, gets out and he says, good riddance to you, and he goes back to the city of destruction. But Christian, no matter how much he tries to get out, he can't because of this burden on his back that keeps pulling him down. And the, and, the, and the mire, right, kind of sucks you down. So he's in there and he's stuck and he, he's sinking. But then along comes help. And help gives him a hand, gets him out and says, hey, why didn't you, why didn't you take the steps? Why did you fall into this slough?" And Christian realizes that, that there actually are steps and a bridge. Completely missed it. And instead, he and Pliable had fallen in and had been wallowing in the slough of of despond. Help says, um, you know, stay on the path. And so then Christian continues his journey. But then he meets Mr. Worldly Wise Man who says, why are you carrying this big burden? That looks really heavy. And Christian says, I don't want to carry it, but I can't get it off. And the evangelist told me that I can get it off if I continue to follow the, the light and get to the, get to the celestial city. And Mr. Worley Wiseman says, no, no, you don't have to do that. He says, just go up this mount of morality and the burden will come off. He says, you don't need religion to be a good person. Just live a good life. And you'll be fine you'll be happy you'll be free you don't need god to be a good person you don't need god to live a good life here on earth that sounds pretty good to christian so he gets off the airway, and he goes to i don't know if you can see this he starts going off but as he starts Climbing this mountain, the burden is getting heavier and heavier, and he he these rocks are coming down, and they're almost you know completely burying him under the avalanche. And he's he's starting to feel afraid. He's starting to think, I, I don't know how how I'm gonna continue to climb this mountain. When Evangelist comes back on the scene, he says, "What are you doing here? I told you to go that way." And he brings, he helps Christian to go back on the right path. And he tells him, go this way. And to help you, he introduces him to some people who teach him various lessons about faith. The burden on his back gets heavier and heavier until... Oh, hold on, let me go back to... Sorry, let me go back to the slide I'm trying to get to. Here we go. Now I saw in my dream that the highway up which Krishna was to go was fenced on either side with a wall, and that wall was called salvation. Up this way, therefore, did burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. He ran thus until he came to a place somewhat ascending, and upon that place stood a cross, and a little below in the bottom a sepulcher. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell off from his back and began to tumble and so continued to do till it came to the mouth of the sepulchre where it fell in and I saw it no more. I'm just going to place this here. And finally, Christian is free and he's amazed and he's looking and wondering at the cross and he's he's as he's wondering about it as he's looking at it right free now from the burden right, the tears come down his face at this amazing grace that freed him finally and as he's standing there right grateful for this grace that has freed him from his burden three shining ones come they give him new clothes they give him a scroll and they give him you know various tools to uh, i think they give him a sword right and they give him various tools basically to help him continue his journey cuz this is not the end i wanted to share this story with you because Roy uh, and I, but basically Roy, has been doing a series on the good news about sin. And for those of you who missed it, in the first sermon, he talked about the problem of sin, how we all are born with this sinful human natures that have a tendency to sin, right? Babies are born so cute, but their natural tendency is me, 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 right? They're not saying, Mommy, you go sleep. I'll just wait, right? No, they're saying, give me what I want. Doesn't matter how much you have to suffer. right? This is what, and, and that's okay, because they're babies. But as they grow, the parents have to teach them that that natural tendency is not a good way to live. Right? So we're fighting against human nature. No wonder it's so hard. <laughs> but, then the, but then there's also the fact that there's involuntary sin. In other words, there are things we struggle with that we don't like doing, but we keep doing. Because we are slaves to that sin. And there are things that we do, not because we're slaves to it, but because we make that choice, we want to do it anyway. There are those voluntary sins. And and Roy talked about the various kinds of sins and and, and what that means for us. And and then in part two, he shared the first part of the solution to sin, which um, the fancy word for that is justification. And it basically just means... Being treated as if we had never sinned. Justification is when that burden falls off our backs. Justification is when the cross takes away our burden and we are free from the guilt and we're free from the punishment because Jesus died for us. He took on our punishment. He took on the consequences of all our actions so that we can be free. But that's not the end of the journey. Justification is, is, is not the end of the journey. When a Christian has, has, has realized that Jesus forgives us, right, and that we are not saved by works, but that we're saved by, f- by faith, that freedom and that, that, that amazing release and peace that come from that, that's not the end of the Christian walk. If you look back at this map, this is where, um, sorry, where is that? Where is this? There it is, there's the cross. This is where Christian's burden falls off. But look how much longer he has to go until he gets to the celestial city. And that's the part that we're always going to preach next week, sanctification. And sanctification is just a fancy way of saying the journey of following Jesus, becoming like him, and fulfilling God's unique call for your life. So it's walking with Jesus, right? But every walk is different because Jesus calls Daniel to, to a, a life that is different from my life, right? Different from David's life and Toby's life and Sue's life, et cetera. And so God has a unique call for each person. And He walks with each one of us and He's saying, Come follow me, right? And every day we have a choice do we want to follow Jesus and do we want to follow that path or are we gonna get off? And and I'm not gonna read the rest of the story for, or narrate the rest of the story for you because I want you to to read it or or watch it on your own. But Christians sometimes follow and sometimes it gets off, right? And it's very uh, reflective of our journeys, right? We're not always um, faithful and willing to follow Jesus. This journey sometimes is difficult. Because we have so many temptations and we have, uh, in Christian's journey, there's so many people who come and, and misguide him, right? Mr. Worldly Wise Man, um, there's another person who comes along from Vanity Fair, there's another person who comes along who's, he's, who's a lazy and he says, hey, just come lie down on this meadow of ease for a while, right? And Christian's like, oh yeah, <laughs> that sounds good, right? And, and so this Christian life is difficult and you know, last week we had our Bible Journaling workshop, and so many of you came, and it was great. And it kind of inspired me to start following um, various people on Instagram who, who do this. And um, this is, um, so Gulineta, who some of you know and whom some of you are very good friends with, and she's come to our church before. Um, she, I, I started following her Instagram, and she's got this beautiful, um, her Instagram is meaningful word. And she had this beautiful, poignant, creative expressions of Bible passages and thoughts. And she gave me permission to share some of them with you today. And this says, character building is the work not of a day, nor of a year, but of a lifetime. And this is from the book Ministry of Healing. Character building is the work not of a day, nor of a year, but of a lifetime. And I like how she, you know, draws this person with the backpack to show, yeah, it's a journey. It's a journey. It's a lifelong path, a pilgrim's progress through the doubts and the fears and temptations and challenges to not give up, but to keep on going. And you know, in this story, it's not just the, the, the bad people who come and, and, and misguide him. There's actually plenty of helpers, right? Evangelist, help, um, faithful comes along, hope comes along, right? All these people come along and help Christian on his journey as well. And so we are not alone. We are not alone on this path. Some of us may be feeling a bit battle-worn and scarred from fighting the good fight today. Some of us this morning might feel stuck. Maybe we're in the mire, in the slough of despair, right? (laughs) Feeling like we're sinking. Maybe we're at the plane of ease where making money and comfort and the pursuit of happiness are the traps that keep us from fulfilling God's plan for our lives. Maybe some of us are in the Doubting Castle, being beaten by this giant (laughs) in the story, trying to escape. Wherever you are on the journey, I want to remind you that God is ever with you, sending the right people, sending you the right promises, sending you the right weapons of your own to fight the battles you need to fight. There's this overarching theme in the Bible that is woven throughout the 66 books. From Genesis to Revelation, the theme that is constantly repeated, like the mel- the chorus, right, of a melody is, God wants to be with us. God loves us so much that he's moving heaven and earth literally to be with us. And you know, you see that from from, from Genesis, you see how God walks with Adam and Eve, and you see that theme, of. Uh, you know, after Adam and Eve have sinned, they've left the garden, but he continues to come up with ways to be with the sinful people. And, and by the time they become uh, the Israelite nation, um, this small group of people who are slaves, God comes to them, frees them and says, hey, I want to be with you. So here are some ways I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be a, a pillar of cloud by day right, and a pillar of fire by night guiding you every step of the way so that at any time, if you're wondering, does God care? Is God with me? You can look out of your tent and you see that pillar of fire and you know, yep, there's God. He's with me. And he said, have the people build me a sanctuary, right? So that, why? So that I can be honored and glorified. No, he says, have them build me a sanctuary. This is Exodus 25, 8. So that I can live amongst them in psalm the shepherd david can say even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me even in the valley of the shadow of death he knows i'm not alone god is walking this valley with me when you pass through the waters god told isaiah i will be with you in the New Testament, when the angels proclaim the good news of Jesus, they said, Emmanuel, right? God with us. This is from Becky, who, who led the Bible journaling workshop last week. And she brought these um, uh, little tools for us to, to, to reflect on the passage of how God has come as a human being. Why? To be with us. Emmanuel literally means God with us. And when Jesus died and resurrected and before he ascended back up to heaven, he commissioned his followers to go make disciples of all the nations, right? He said, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we've been able to witness that lately with Lily and Niari and, and Cameron and, and Adam and Andy and Karina. And he says, teach them to observe all the things I've commanded you. And he says, lo, I am with you sometimes. Lo, I am with you always Even to the end of the age. So so does God leave us when we fail? Does God leave us when we when we choose to ignore him? No, he's always with us. Always with us. Just like Christian, even though in the journey of the Pilgrim's Progress, he went into Vanity Fair, he went into the Slough of Despair, he went into lots of places he shouldn't have gone, but never was he alone. God was always with him, and God sent help to, so that he could get back on the path. Even at the very end of the Bible, right? This is a different um, Instagrammer the beautiful promise of Revelation for this new heaven and a new earth, where there's no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying or pain. And then there's this beautiful refrain that you you hear again. He says, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So from Genesis to Revelation, the echo that you hear throughout the Bible, the theme of the entire Bible, the reason why every story is in there is because God is trying to tell us, I want to be with you. And I don't know about you, but that's, that's, not, that's not something to take lightly because we know, especially living in this day and age, how busy life is. I don't know about you, but I, I just, you know, especially this time of year, it's so busy. And the other day I was trying to set up a play date with um, one of Micah's friends. And I looked at my can- calendar and I'm like, oh, yeah, let's do this. You know, the mom was like, yeah, let's do a play date. And I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm like, January 6th? Is the next day I have free, right? Like to, to be able to do this. And I'm just thinking that's ridiculous, right? And every time my kids are saying, Mommy, play with me. And I'm saying, sorry, I'm busy. We live, we live in a time where we don't have time to give to people, right? And one of the one of the best ways we can show love is to give people our time, right? And here is God of the universe saying, I want to be with you. I'm here for you. I'm here to give you my undivided attention. Do you want to spend time with me? And oftentimes, I'm sorry to say, I'm saying, sorry, God, I'm too busy. God has not left us alone to walk this path. Not only is he there for us every step of the way, but he sends people to walk before us to pave the way. And did you know that Pilgrim's Progress is actually two books? And I actually have never read the second one. I've only read the first one, which is about Christian. But then there's a second book about Christiana, Christian's wife, who then journeys with her children to get to the celestial city. And and it says in that book that the path is so much easier for her because Christian has already paved the way. Right? Every Christian who goes before us helps pave the way, Right? has written things to encourage us, has, has left us so many wonderful um, memorials and monuments and reminders, right? Instagrammers who have gone before us to leave us this beautiful, right? There's so many Christians who have gone before us. John and Elizabeth Bunyan, who despite 12 years of poverty, imprisonment, and separation, never gave up their passion and purpose for God. We have all these examples to encourage us. In the Bible, Hebrews 11 lists various people who persevere in their journey in order to encourage us, and it ends by saying this, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland, that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. A pilgrim is a traveler with a purpose, someone who embarks on the journey with a known destination. We are pilgrims seeking not just truth and not just salvation and not just meaning, right, in a world that has so much chaos and conflict and, and, and confusion, but we are pilgrims seeking of relationship with a God who wants to be with us. And this book is here to make us uncomfortable, (laughs) but to also encourage us, right? This book, when you read it, it it does create a burden because guess what? It's a lot, you know, sometimes easier to close your eyes to reality and, and, and truth and just live in ignorance. But this book shows us, it's like a mirror that shows us the true condition of the world we live in. It's like the matrix, right? Once you know the truth, there's no going back. And so as you read and you realize, wow, we live in a, in a world that is actually an illusion, right? The, the, what the world says is the way to happiness, it's an illusion, it's a trap. It's not actual reality. As you find, as you go down it, you realize, I'm actually not happy. I'm actually, this is not working for me. And then when you read this book, you realize why. Because the path to happiness is not doing whatever you want. But the path to happiness is a relationship with a God who recreates us so that love becomes the principle and the purpose of our lives. So that service becomes the way of life. And therein lies true happiness. Therein lies meaning. And as you read, you realize, wow, there's a a, a plan here that God has for this world. And I'm sorry, but this world is going to end in destruction. And God is saying, hey, but I don't want anyone to be destroyed. I don't want anyone to be destroyed. I want everyone to be saved. And here is the path to salvation. Do you want to go down that path? God is not indifferent to the suffering and the pain, but he came to to become flesh. He knows and understands what it means to walk this pilgrim's life here on earth because he did it for 33 years. And then he died to save a humanity that often ignores, misunderstands, or or misrepresents him. But he did it anyway, because he has faith in us. He believes in us. And he did that so that all that burden that we carry can be lifted off, rolled away, and buried with him. You know, as pilgrims, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have all the answers. But one thing God asks of us is that we press on. There's a verse in Philippians where uh, a Christian missionary named Paul was this amazing person who sacrificed everything for Jesus. And even he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. You see, in a race, you don't look back, but you look forward, right? You press on. At the end of Hebrews, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus and never give up, right? Keep on pressing on in this journey. Is Shane here? Oh, there he is. We're going to have children's story now. But after the children's story, I'm going to um, introduce the closing song. Um, and then we'll have prayer. But um, after, the, after the children's story um, and before the closing song, I want you to think about what burdens you might be carrying with you today? What weight is slowing you down in your walk? What's tripping you up right, as you're walking on this journey, as you're fulfilling the calling that God has for you? What's distracting you from keeping your eyes on Jesus? What burdens are you carrying? The burden to be perfect, the burden to be liked, the burdens of the past, the burdens of anxiety about the future, burdens of bitterness or pain from open wounds. What burdens are you carrying? Perhaps it's time to come to the foot of the cross and ask Jesus to take them away. I want you to, as um, you know, after the children's story, as we go into the song, to have a thought about what is that burden that I want to just leave here this morning? Um, All the kids, if you want to come up here for the children's story, Uncle Shane's going to tell you something. So come on up, and then we'll have our closing song.
1: Good morning. How are we? Good. That's great. Today I have a story for you from Burma. Do you know where Burma is? No. No, No? none of you know where Burma is. So, Burma is a country that's in between Thailand, India, India, and China so i 'm going to tell you a story about little Shane <laughs> i 'm going to tell you a story about when I was about your age. I was a small little boy, and my mom used to drive uh, used to ride around in a bicycle, and I would just sit in the back seat. so imagine little Shane sitting in the back seat of mom's bicycle so my mom she was a high school teacher and in high school um they decided that they were going to have camp have you gone camping before yes, but yeah but you yeah, can we do have in, grade three. Camping, camping. in grade 3 in grade camping can, in grade 3 and 3 you can actually do camping oh ah, okay Great. Um, so, so the students decided to go camping and mom had to be there and she took little Shane with her. That was you. Yeah, that was me. Yes. Um, so we went to this village and, and in Burma, um, you can imagine that there were no street lights. And at night, it was totally dark. So it was pitch black. And little Shane, by that time, was so sleepy. And he fell asleep. And then, all of a sudden, he starts hearing all these noises. So... So, what do you what do you think?
0: Guns.
1: Yes, there were guns. And I knew it was guns. The, and then there were also bomb noises. And how do you think little Shane felt? Scared. Exactly. He was very scared. <laughs> he was very scared. In fact, he even peed his pants. Uh, and That's a And who who do you think Who do you think who do you think he called for? His mom. his mom. That's right. He said, "Mommy, mommy." And then he realized that mommy was very close and mommy gave him a big hug and said, it will be all right. And he realized that mommy was very peaceful at that time, because mommy has been memorizing a lot of promises that God has for her. And I I want to tell you today that when you feel like you need God, there's a number that you can dial. In Australia... What number do you dial when you're in trouble? Zero, zero, zero. Very good. good. Triple O zero zero zero. And in America, do you know what number? Zero, zero, zero. zero, zero. No, I think it's zero, zero, one. Zero, zero, one. Very good. So, zero, nine, one, nine, one, one is in the U.S. So, for God, it's a very easy number. So, when you want to... Yes, That's easy. When you want to call God, he... He says in the Bible to dial three three three. You know why it's three three three? Because in Jeremiah thirty three three, God said, Call to me and I will answer. Really? Yes. You don't have to do it on your phone, you just shout out. Exactly. It's three times. Just say three three three, yes. 3-3-3. <laughs> so because no, it's, it's one of his promises. Jeremiah 33.3 3 says, Call to me and I will answer. So, so um, today, children, um, I just want you to know that God, when you call on him, He's even closer to you than my mom was at that time, and he's willing to um, come and embrace you when you are in need.
0: All right, thank you, Uncle Shane. Everyone go back to your seats, please.
1: Um,
0: So thank you. (laughs) Thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, As the closing song is played if you could just take a moment to reflect on the words of the song. It says, come to the altar. And altar is um, a a fancy word for where a sacrifice is made. And in the case of Jesus,
1: sorry, I don't
0: know. In the case of Jesus, the altar is the cross, right? It's the cross where Jesus uh, lay down to die for us. And so as this song is being played, if you could um, reflect on, the, on, on and ask God to help you identify what burden am I carrying today that I need to let go of? Right? What burden or what obstacle is distracting or delaying me from the path that Jesus has called me to follow? And ask him to give you the courage and the strength and the perseverance to keep our eyes on Jesus so that we can say like Paul and like John and Elizabeth uh, Bunyan, they said these words. They said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward for his appearing. And so as we reflect on this song, I pray that we would be willing to fight the good fight. freeing us from the burdens that weigh us down and for giving us a path to salvation and for giving us a unique calling that each one of us um, can fulfill your plan for our lives. But Father, we confess that sometimes the journey is difficult and challenging. Sometimes we want to give up. Sometimes we're too discouraged. Sometimes we're too weary. But Father, I pray that in those moments you would send us help that you would send us reminders and people and circumstances so that we can be encouraged to keep our eyes on Jesus and to continue our path and our journey towards you. And we pray, Father, that in this pilgrim's progress, that we would remember those who have gone before us, that their stories would inspire us, to motivate us to keep going, and that we would also look around us to see who else we can encourage in their journeys. So that together we can all get to that celestial city and that together we can hear your words well done, good and faithful servant, come into the joy of the Lord. And so, Father, we pray that all of us who is listening to this um, online or on the podcast or here in person, that we would, we would take this moment to choose to lay down our burdens before you and to choose to follow you wherever you lead us. <laughs> I pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.